Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. White privilege is just an acknowledgement that our world is uneven. We live in a country that's unequal. All human beings share solidarity. All of us are made in God's image equally and therefore worthy of dignity. We're all ruined and rebellious against God and therefore calls us solidarity in sin. And we all need the same Savior. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Are you in a purity spiral? What's a purity spiral? This is Wretched Radio. Maybe you're thinking a purity spiral. That's an individual once walking in righteousness. Now lets his eyes roam and his feet taken to places he ought not to go. Nope, not that kind of a purity spiral. This is a term that is being used to describe a collective and identifiable group of individuals that go about the business of imploding. Don't know if you've noticed That seems to be happening a lot in evangelicalism these days. So while I'm reading this article titled Purity Spirals Incoming from one Robert W. Malone, MD, MS, I don't know what that stands for. He was describing medical professionals, medical associations, and political parties or political groups or even subgroups that go about the business of blowing up because nobody can agree on everything. And if you don't maintain the same purity of philosophy as I do, then out with you. And I couldn't help but think, hey, we've got that going on inside of the church. Now, here's where we need to be careful. There are times for separation. We must apply theological triage when subjects come up. We need to identify the essentials. And if somebody is outlying on the essentials, uh uh-oh, we got a problem. We need to bring them back in or or they got to go. So we recognize that there are indeed times for separation. Having said that, it does appear that we as evangelicals are separating a lot on non-essential issues. Mostly, as I observe it, social matters and political matters. There is a whole lot of fighting going on that ought not to be. Now, please note, we contend earnestly for the truth. This is why, even as I was considering, hmm, should we try to tackle this secular presentation on behavioral group dynamics? I thought, well, because there are... There are distinctions that need to be made, and evangelicalism has this little old thing called the, what is it, the Bible that instructs us that we're to rightly divide the word of truth, that we are to mark those which cause division and avoid them. So we have additional considerations and even valves that allow us to say um, that person is indeed out. Having said that, it seems to me that there's enough to learn by this fellow's observations about the medical and political realms that are fracturing into a million pieces because of what he calls a purity spiral. Here's the definition from the Urban Dictionary. So apparently it's a term that is used often enough to warrant treatment inside of the Urban Dictionary. A social ratchet effect within a community. A process... Now, please note, I know we're talking about secular groups here, and this is not perfect. We're simply trying to glean a social ratchet effect within a community, a process of moral outbidding 
unchecked, which corrodes the group from within, rewarding those who put themselves at the extremes and punishing nuance relentlessly. And here's where it gets tricky right out of the gate for us evangelicals. There can be, if you will, a middle way. On the other hand, there can be a middle way. It can be good or it can be bad. There are indeed times when the Bible says it's not this extreme or that extreme. The problem, of course, with that is there are people who inevitably reveal themselves to be way over on the liberal extreme, pretending to say to those on the far right, hey, let's be more moderate. Do you ever feel that? And you know, uh, no, you're actually a liberal in sheep's clothing. But having said that, we need to watch out because maybe some, some issues, theological triage, some issues demand that maybe we're just a little bit more thoughtful than just it's got to be exactly this or you're out. Now, at the risk of potentially agitating a particular people group, nevertheless, I feel it necessary to use an example and give a caveat that I'm not talking about everybody. Not everybody in a particular movement that I'm going to describe is practicing the purity spiral and, and that they are being bellicose toward those who have a different view on a particular subject. What's the issue? Life. Abortion. I believe that every evangelical should be an abolitionist. We want no babies being aborted. Zero Nada. By the way, you'll be pleased to know almost 4,000 people have downloaded our Life is Best series so that we can become better pro-life apologists because, hey, what do you know? I just checked between the three front runners in the Republican Party nominations. Uh, none of them are pro-life. They all have exceptions. Cool. So we're giving away Life is Best. 4,000 folks have downloaded that to help us all become pro-life apologists. But inside of the movement, You've got two camps, if you will. You've got people who would call themselves pro-life, willing to accept incremental legislation, believing that, hey, it's better that some babies are saved than all of them dying. So we'll take the incremental advances. There is another group of people who say, no, we're abolitionists. We must outlaw it totally. Now, please note, pro-lifers would say that too, but they're willing to accept steps. There are abolitionists who would say, absolutely not, that is compromise, and you are undermining the abolition of abortion through incrementalism. Now, we're all pro-life, and yet, how do we relate to one another in those camps? I have to confess, I've seen a fair amount of name-calling and accusations. If you don't believe in you know, just to, just so that nobody gets their nose unnecessarily bent, because that's not my intention. One of the one of the, one of those two groups labels the other one as as total sellouts. Okay, hold on. Uh, uh, no, no, we all want the outlawing of abortion. Somebody's got a different take on it. They think that the legislative process would be more effective this way, and regarding voting. And if you don't think it through the same way. Off with your head. 
Let me continue then with the definition of what a purity spiral is according to the Urban Dictionary. Because you and I have got to do better than the world. Is the life issue important? Yeah. And if you don't believe that abortion is the intentional taking of a whole innocent human being, we, we need to talk. And at some point, we might need to say, based on the conversation, hey, your misunderstanding of this issue or your belligerence in not understanding that life in the womb is valued because it's an image bearer of God, even though it's not as large or developed, we got issues here. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about two groups of people who are, they, they don't want babies aborted. They have a different political approach to it. And we're dividing and clubbing each other. And that's not the only issue. There are many others, but back to the Urban Dictionary. It takes place in a defined community or society where being purer than thou is always being rewarded. And holding a divergent, less pure opinion is normally punished, a dynamic which leads to an inevitable escalation as, the, as only the most extreme can win. Now, here's an example of this. It's an example. It's, it's, it's rather exaggerated, but it'll help you clarify in your mind what a purity spiral is. Louise, a woman, fictional, denounced Nike as bourgeois. The village fell into a purity spiral where first Nikes, then all sneakers, then all shoes, and later socks were burnt on a pyre by the villagers. Foot amputations followed in the spring. In other words, we, we, believe, we believe this issue on this thing, but it spirals down to an extreme. And if you don't maintain that position, whether it is rightly extreme or not, you're out of here. You're done. We're cutting you off. That's a purity spiral. A purity spiral occurs when a community becomes fixated on implementing a single value that has no upper limit, no single agreed interpretation. The result is a moral feeding frenzy. Now, in our instance, it's not a moral feeding frenzy. It can be a theological feeding frenzy, and it can be over the most ridiculous things. Um, hey, Jimmy. Yes. Um, do you like R.C. Sproul? Do. I sure oh, do. Oh, man. This, this is great. Now, what side of his hair do you think R.C. Sproul should have parted his locks? Left or right side? <laughs> the left side. Oh! Uh. It's the right side. Oh, you hate R.C. Sproul, and I have to separate from you. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a purity spiral. Now, again, with the nota bene, there are times for separating. But there are also times for overlooking. And there are times for loving, even through disagreements. Question for all of us. Are we in any way, shape, or form in a purity spiral? This is Wretched Radio.
2024 is a crucial election year. The sanctity of life is at the forefront, and while we do celebrate the overturning of Roe, we cannot ignore the surge of pro-choice voices. They are persuasive, but we can and should be more convincing. We have to stand firm, not only in our beliefs, but also in the understanding of the gospel to change hearts and minds. Pro-choice advocates rally voters with misleading arguments, and as Christians, it is our duty to counter these narratives with truth and compassion. Remember, this is not only about politics. It's about protecting the lives of the unborn. The debate has shifted to when instead of should, and now it's time to refocus this conversation. Equip your family and your church with Life is Best, a 13-lesson series that's not just powerful, but a call to action. Order your free digital download and streaming version from the Wretched Store right now. It's available for free during the month of January. You have until January 31st, and we, together, can make a difference. If you are one of the people who supported our joint effort with the Masters Academy International to get Bibles into the hands of people, you're going to hear a thank you letter from May that perhaps will encourage you that what you did was a very good and lasting thing. I'm one of the recipients of the MacArthur Study Bible, so generously given with the help of gospel partners. This will help me in my daily study of God's Word and will inform, instruct, inspire me in my walk with the Lord as well as my service to the Lord in my family and my church ministries. How encouraging is that? By the way, if you're not plugged into the Masters Academy International, everything is about long-lasting impact. They train pastors in 18, 19 countries and many seminaries around the globe so that pastors can fill empty pulpits and preach. That makes a generational difference. You can learn more about the Master's Academy at wretched.org slash Bible, or if you prefer, wretched.org slash pastor. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Wretched Radio today. And I wanted to take just a moment to say thank you to our incredible gospel partners. Together, we're not just throwing seed, we're actually nurturing an entire forest. And your partnership is more than just a monthly commitment. There have been lives touched, there have been hearts changed, and there have been souls comforted. And while we don't have a giant thank you banner that we can fly over your house, though that would be pretty cool, and then we do have countless stories of lives impacted by your generosity. Every prayer you've prayed, every dollar you've given, it's like a ripple effect across the massive ocean. Thank you for standing firm with us and for being the backbone of this ministry. And to those of you who are not already gospel partners, well, hey, we would love to welcome you into the family. You can get all of the answers to the questions we know you have right now at wretched.org slash donate. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. Important dates in Christian history. 1620. Pilgrims coming to America sign the Mayflower Compact and commit themselves to seek the public good, uphold group solidarity, and forsake self-seeking. The Pilgrims' influence helped to create the religious freedoms enjoyed today in the United States. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. If you love the Walendas, oh! If you love the Walendas, you're going to love this. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, do you know who the Walendas are? Do not. The kids these days, they were death defiers. They were famous. They were tightrope walkers. And they would be broadcast on national TV because they would do death defying stunts, tightrope walking between two skyscrapers on a windy day. 
It was nail-biting and rather macabre, but America tuned in and you were about to witness maybe something just as death-defying. Observing the secular world so that we can perhaps maybe gain some insights into our behavior in the church world, fully recognizing here comes the nota bene. I know there are distinctions. I know that there are rules of discernment. I recognize that there are distinctions in levels of theology. I understand all of that, but I was reading this article by one Dr. Robert W. Malone, who have, Jimmy, you said that he was the fellow who invented the technology on which the jab was concocted. Right. The mRNA stuff. Mm. He, he invented that technology. And he loved the jab. He did not. Okay. Wow. So <laughs> this fellow from experience recognizes that if he goes into a public forum in this particular article that he wrote at rwmalonemd.substack.com. Whoo, that's a lot. He went onto a radio show with another medical professional and he basically was called an idiot, vilified by everybody, because he isn't in lockstep with a generally accepted science. Now, the whole jab debate aside, it's simply a demonstration, an example of what he calls a purity spiral. That if you're in the medical profession and you don't agree with absolutely everything that the larger group believes, and it has to be an identifiable group, well, then you're out. And you're even vilified. He also identified that happens in the political realm. I, I think observably we can say that it even happens in the moral realm in America. He cites a quote. This is again from the article on purity spirals from the 1950s. Author James Baldwin said this, nobody is more dangerous than he who imagines himself pure in heart. For his purity, by definition, is unassailable. Now, I know we can parse that apart. If we weren't talking about this article, we could pick that to pieces, couldn't we? But the point is, we can have an attitude of believing that we are totally right on everything to the point where anybody who doesn't agree with us would be deemed, uh, well, frankly, a heretic. Jimmy, that kind of reminds me. I think here's a good example. Do you remember? I don't think it was his joke. Emo Phillips. Hmm. He used to work with the Wolandas. Okay, so no, I don't you have remember. no idea. Do you? <laughs> no. He was he was a comedian, super quirky, a very, very odd character. And, and he told, I think, kind of a classic joke uh, that I think illuminates what it is that I'm thinking about in the church when we see the fracturing inside of medical and political communities. I was in San Francisco once, walking along the Golden Gate Bridge, and I saw this guy in the bridge about to jump. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you, you silly ninny. He said, I do believe in God. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too, Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too, what franchise? He says, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He says, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He says, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. 
Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist or Northern Conservative Reform Baptist? He says, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Eastern Region? He says, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He says, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die. A heretic, and I pushed him over. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Not the essentials, and, and and you could even argue some secondary issues. My observation is we're fracturing on virtually anything in evangelical Christianity, and having this conversation because it is so divisive right now. Even trying to observe this, to try to figure out the biblical way to navigate through disagreements on different issues, I could be labeled, somebody push me off the bridge. Ah, he's becoming a Russell Moore fan. No, I'm not talking about a liberal, deceptive, compromised sort of version of evangelicalism. Uh, I'm just talking about being aware of theological triage. And that some of these issues, what issues are we fracturing over? Critical race theory, Christian nationalism, abortion, pronouns. These are all new issues for us. And right now, we are acting a lot like the world in a purity spiral. You, you have any sort of nuancing to a subject that doesn't mean you firmly affirm Can you firmly affirm? You firmly affirm exactly where we're at on this or you are way out. Now, I recognize where that can go. Nevertheless, I think that we've got biblical permission to get along when we disagree on non-essentials. Otherwise, if if we're going to fracture on everything, Jimmy and I, all we would need to do is talk for about 30 seconds to a minute. We will find a difference to argue about and to disagree with and and to separate. Hey, Jimmy. Yes. uh, Do you think that uh, the Shepherds Conference should be held in the spring or the fall? In the spring. Oh, (laughs) I can't wait to blog about you. Okay. It has come to that in many different ways. From the article, increasingly, questions once treated as complicated inquiries requiring scrutiny and nuance are being reduced to, he writes, moral absolutes, for our purposes, I'd say essentials. We're elevating everything to that level. And I will be honest with you, my conservative sensibilities bristle at this conversation. I like clear. I like lines that are sharp. And I find it very easy to put somebody on the other side of the line over virtually anything. But I also realize that that propensity must be tempered by Christian unity, that we would be one in Christ, that we can overlook some things and recognize that these issues are new and they are fresh and they require not that wishy-washy, squishy, Russell Moore-like David French middle way. Not talking about that. 
I'm talking about talking about issues when we disagree and not castigating one another. That's that's what I'm talking about. So here's from the article to help us see in history where we've seen a purity spiral. 1967, Mao's Red Guards took to the streets to root out the four olds of traditional Chinese culture. They killed hundreds of thousands. By 1968, they'd fallen apart as factions fought each other to represent the truest version of Maoism. 1794, Robespierre found himself, you guessed, exactly positioned where other people he placed to have their heads lopped off because groups that come together have the ability to fall into a purity spiral and explode and actually kill each other. Now, he uses different terms to describe this, but this is, this is, this is one manifestation of this purity spiral that we do see, I think, both in the world and inside of the church. It's called gang stalking. It's in the cyber world. It's a form of cyber stalking or cyber bullying in which a group of people target an individual online to harass them through repeated threats, fear-inducing behavior, bullying, teasing, intimidation, gossip, and I don't know what this is, bad jacketing. We see that, don't we? In the church. And and we need to perhaps pull back the lens just a little bit right now, because I think this is my seventh time saying it. I don't like the currently defined middle way. That means, well, yeah, I have my beliefs, but hey, it's okay and kumbaya. No, I got my beliefs and I know which ones we don't debate. But then I also realize there are some that have less of an essential component and some that are even further out than that. What I'm talking about is these issues these days that are way out there. These are social issues. These are political issues. And in this election year, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. I wonder how many Christian families and churches have cracked up over which politician that everybody thinks that they should vote for. I bet it's happened. I bet it's, I know it's happened. And that ought not to be. Can there be times when that's necessary for the eighth time now? Yes, but not every single time on every single issue. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. We start in the world of entertainment. Initially, you want to call this madness. Then, quickly, you realize it's just a normal part of culture now, I guess. Amazon premiered a new animated series this week that glorifies the devil as a misunderstood hero. That's right. The show aimed at young audiences spins Satan as a noble liberator battling a mean old god who unjustly cast him from heaven. And again, initially, you want to be so offended by this. But you sit and spend some time with it and realize it's the world that we're living in. And on that note, how about a teacher on TikTok bragging about grooming kids with overtly sexual antics? Yes, that's actually happening right now. The latest social media outrage features an Oregon elementary teacher boasting that he encourages boys to, quote, sissy that walk. 
and he performs classroom drag shows despite administrators begging him to stop. You know how to get him to stop? You fire him. But I guess that's just too mean, isn't it? Speaking of wayward school policies, an Oklahoma lawmaker introduced legislation this week mandating that students identifying as animals get hauled off by animal control. I can't say that I uh, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. That tongue-in-cheek bill uh, targets peers dressing up as make-believe creatures and disrupting learning. Yeah, this targets the ones calling themselves, quote, furries. And on the topic of child health, several prominent doctors finally admitted this past week that puberty blockers used on dysphoric kids remain extremely risky with irreversible side effects. That's kind of contrary to what they've been saying, isn't it? Shifting focus to global persecution, North Korea remains the most dangerous place worldwide for Christians, now entering the 24th straight year, topping the Open Doors World Watch List chart. The isolated regime runs a network of brutal labor camps, imprisoning over 50,000 Christians, with many more believers tortured if authorities catch them praying or reading Bibles. And as we tell you so frequently here at Wretched, please make sure you're praying for Christian believers that are being tortured and persecuted all over the world. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. Esther is the story of a Jewish woman who becomes Queen of Persia. After a plot to destroy the Jews is uncovered, Esther risks her life to save her people. She appeals to the king who kills the conspirators and allows the Jews to defend themselves. When you face persecution, remember God is able to save His people through all kinds of circumstances. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. The pagans are acting like pagans again. They can't help themselves. This is Wretched Radio. That's right. That would be a slew of pagan stories held between my never-before-nicotine-stained fingers, starting with United Airlines' big lawsuit. A number of folks who wanted an exemption to the vaccine said uh, we were mocked. We were turned down, even though we had valid religious reasons for saying no thanks. Nevertheless, they were pressured. They weren't fired. Uh, They were just sent home without pay. Because that's different than being fired, apparently. We will see how that lawsuit goes. The president, the CEO of United Airlines, apparently is quite woke. And I have to confess, as much as I would like to be um, flattering to this fellow, he just doesn't look great in women's clothing. You say, well, how how would you know that, Friel? Because of the pictures on the social media of him cross-dressing, he claims that he likes to wear women's clothes. He's running United Airlines. Maybe an airplane you board one day because the claim is from United Airlines, we are really only trying to hire those people that would reflect diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, one one has to wonder, what would it be like to fly in a United airplane where DEI makes the hiring decisions? It might sound a little... Oh, something like this. Welcome aboard, folks. We are very proud to share that your pilot is the most diverse pilot on record. She is a three foot two inch transgender pansexual Native American man who identifies as a six foot tall Korean woman. Any volunteers to help reach the controls are welcome. You will want to buckle up as her epilepsy is often triggered by the flashing lights in the cockpit. 
Remember to keep a whisper volume level as she may have to consult instructional videos as a refresher during the flight. Now, can we get a big cheer for diversity? <laughs> Three cheers for... DEI. Let's go to the University of Wisconsin. This is the lacrosse location. I don't know if it's as pretty as the Madison University of Wisconsin, but lacrosse is a groovy part of the world. It is the intersection of, I think, the Mississippi and the Minnesota River. You can see Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, as my daughter used to call it, Wisconsin, from standing up on one of the peaks because there's actually some variance in the geography there. There's actually, I wouldn't call them a mountain, but it's really big hills, which is pretty unusual for Minnesota and the northern part of Iowa. At the University of Wisconsin, La Crosse, <laughs> the chancellor who was making pornographic films with his wife, believes that the school should have been a little bit more understanding with his porn films instead of removing him from his position. Quote, my wife and I live in a country where we have a First Amendment. Okay, First Amendment doesn't cover all forms of expression or activity. And let's, I, I get it. I guess you could call almost anything that is put on film art, um, but you're putting smut on film and saying that's protected because of freedom of speech. Oof. We're dealing with consensual adult sexuality. The regents are overreacting. They're certainly not adhering to their own commitment to free speech or the First Amendment. This is this is actually a bit of a tricky issue. Does a organization now this is a government school? Let's talk sec or let's talk private. Does a private corporation have the right to say we don't want you working here because of your outside extracurricular activity. Because as soon as you say, well, no, there's certain things that we can shut you down for or fire you for. Well, that pendulum swings really widely, wide, wide, wide. And you could be clipped in, in that movement that the corporation is looking into the social media feed. This is why we're seeing so many Christians that are getting fired because they do a Facebook post saying this is what the Bible says about gender sexuality issues. So, yeah, I like the idea of a private corporation being able to do whatever they want to do, but just know um, that doesn't come without risk. Jimmy? You for or against private corporations being able to fire people based on what they do outside of the workplace? I'm for it. You're for it. Because they are representatives of that company. Okay. Uh, so, I mean. So, you're okay with Christians being fired for quoting Bible verses? You know. See? It's, it, it, gets, it gets a little tricky. It does. It does. See, my, my sense of it is, as a private organization, you should have the right to do that. If you want to do that. Um, good luck staying in business, but the the, the slow hand uh, of our economic system should correct that. You want to be a knucklehead? You go ahead and do that. And most likely, you'll pay the price for that. The slow hand 
resolves those things as opposed to government intervention. So I'm a fan of that, but I see, wow, if that's the case, they, a whole lot of Christians could just get canned because they don't want Christians to work there. So I guess if we're, if we're going to be purists and say private industry has the right to terminate people based on behavior outside of the workplace, okay, but we just better be ready when that happens to us too. Because, well, frankly, it already is. Speaking of the University of Wisconsin, I, this goes now. This is Madison, and I'm doing this from recollection. I think this happened right around Christmas time. That the University of Wisconsin was told, if you lose some of the DEI business, you'll get this government grant, and I think it was to the tune of like eight hundred million dollars. And they basically said no. Why? Because they want to cling to they believe so profoundly and deeply in their wokeism that they're willing to pass on almost a billion dollars in funding. Whoa, if we think that we are going to go about the business of somehow rooting out this upside down worldview, which is precisely what this is these days, um, without regeneration. I, I think I think we're going to be a little bit disappointed. In fact, hold on a second. I was reading another article. Uh, here it is right here. How failing to butcher your child became child abuse. This was written by a William M. Briggs. This, this is the world that we are living in right now. That an article in the journal Pediatrics, which is a peer-reviewed journal, had a paper called Prohibition of Gender-Affirming Care, so you don't let your kid get mutilated, as a form of, of child maltreatment. What? Let me get this straight. So you want to take a scalpel to a kid and give them this injection of hormone cocktails that just totally goof them up on the inside. And if we say that's not a good idea, then we're abusing the kids. Okay, then. How did, how did we get here? Now, that's what William Briggs seeks to understand. It shows how bad, false, even preposterous ideas propagate in an expertocracy. That's what he calls it. Expertocracy. Who makes the decisions in our society? The experts. Trust the science. Do you have a degree in child hormone therapy? Well, then you have nothing to say about the subject. Everything is science. We're the experts. We manage the state. He writes, once you have let yourself say in earnest, assigned sex at birth, you have left sanity far behind, receding fast in the distance. But it's okay if you're an expert, then it's correct. And that's what they're doing. They're, 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 they're trying to medicinalize philosophical and moral issues here, like butchering children. No, that's gender-affirming care. See how smart that sounds, right, that? Here's the expertocracy definition. Only experts, MDs, PhDs, get to decide what metaphysics and philosophical systems we all must abide by. Makes no difference that most of these so-called physicians or shrinks or sociologists Pretend that they are not offering philosophy, but science instead, when it is philosophy explicitly that they are offering. And then they slap the scientific label on it in a field of study. 
You can't change a boy into a girl. Well, we're experts in this. Sit down and zip it. So what this means is that when we complain, experts are seeped in a deranged brew. Our criticisms count for nothing because, well, we're not a part of the credentialed elite. We don't belong to the club of experts. He writes, the entire perversion revolution, great term, operates like a cult. No head, no one person, decentralized. Because that's what cults need to endure. This is not a war of science, he writes. This is a spiritual war, plain and simple. Reality says cutting up and drugging a child senseless is abuse. They say it's affirming and that we're the abusers for not letting experts slip kids the needle. It's not a scientific battle. This is a morality value battle. This is a God battle. Indeed it is. This is Wretched Radio. I would say the Tomorrow Clubs is a wonderful ministry. Kids are getting saved like crazy, not just in Eastern Europe, but also in Africa. And it's so efficient. I was just with Paul and Cindy Marty, and I asked, and I said, in, in American currency, how much does it cost to have a kid come to a Tomorrow Club four times a month? So every single week, what, what's the, what does it take to make that happen? Ready? A buck, one dollar. That's it. The kid comes, they get treats, they get materials that they learn the Bible, they memorize a buck because it's it's all volunteer driven. All those dear ones, they're volunteers. It's an amazing ministry. And if you have a heart for the lost in Eastern Europe, Africa, and you love supporting ministries that are super efficient and biblically sound, I would point you in the direction of tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, and ask how many children might I be able to support per month? Okay, so imagine that you're inside of a maze and every corner that you take, there's another wall, there's another obstacle, and you finally get to the point of frustration where you think you're never going to get out. But then imagine a different scenario. You're still inside that maze, but every corner you take is a guide who has a flashlight and is saying, nope, that's the right way to go. And in that scenario, we welcome you to Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford. And whether you've listened or not, you'll realize really quickly it's not your everyday radio show. Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford takes issues that many, if not all of us, struggle with. And it matches them up to hope and healing through the pages of the Bible. It is genuinely an entirely new perspective. New episodes drop every Saturday morning in your favorite podcast spot or at transformed.org slash podcast transformed with dr greg gifford i believe in a culture of life one of the most impactful moments of my life was when i heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms of all three of my kids the sonogram or the the pictures that are taken of babies still a profoundly helpful tool which encourages me to encourage you to consider supporting preborn ministries preborn ministries and their network clinics they are giving away free ultrasounds to women but they do cost something it's 28 dollars an ultrasound and just as you heard governor DeSantis say his view of life was profoundly changed when he saw the baby 
baby in the womb. When you see the form and the shape and the fingers and the heartbeat, would you please consider supporting Preborn? It's a great ministry of life. It has a high anthropology, shares the gospel with women and with the dads. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Titles of Christ. In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called a fragrant offering. In the Old Testament, God required burnt offerings of meat and incense as a pleasing aroma. These sacrifices foreshadowed Jesus, the perfect offering that takes away the sins of the world. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Repeat after me. Three minutes, Mr. Friel. Three minutes, Mr. Friel. Thank you, two, three, four. (laughs) This is Wretched Radio. Give me eight minutes, no matter what I'm doing. Interrupt and say, three minutes, Mr. Friel. Right there. Three minutes, Mr. Friel, because I want to share something that had an odd effect on me. Now, you might say that's probably common, but I, I was sent this video by Joe. It is a woman who apparently is a singer. Is she a TikToker singer? I think so. Uh-huh, yeah. So very short songs. It's 59 seconds long. She's singing something in a particular location. And it just made me go, oh, wow. We used to think more when it came to church design. And wow, we used to write better music. And oh, yeah, our God is transcendent. Go ahead, Jimmy. Three minutes, Mr. Friel. Well, not yet, but be ready to, now that you've rehearsed for that. Speaking of songs, I was put, it's cold in Georgia right now. Now it's not Minnesota cold, but I will, I will give this to the South. This wet cold is special because I think over last weekend, I think it was North Dakota, we saw 54 below wind chills. And then I get a, a, a text from a buddy. I'm not going to say it was Tom Hammond, but he sends a text of his backyard with like a, a whisper of snow saying, Ooh, it's 20 degrees here. And being a Minnesotan, I find that highly offensive, but I will give the South this when it's 20, it does feel colder because it is, it's like, it's like being in Chicago with the wind coming off of Lake Michigan. It is wet and it rips through you. So I'm outside trying to put a blanket over some bushes that we had recently planted because we didn't want him to die because I want global warming. It's not supposed to be like this in the South. And a song was running through my head, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Okay, there's a stricken, smitten, afflicted. Go ahead, ponder that for about 10 years, and you're not going to get to the depth of it. Just the title alone. Uh, stricken, um, um, many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save, but the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. And I couldn't, I couldn't get that. Many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save. And I started thinking about the disciples, that the disciples, many of them were fishermen. And living at that time, let's just say there were not a lot of Richard Simmons-like men. They were dudes, they were, they were rough and tumble people. It was life or death living in the first century. You went without water if you didn't go searching. The, the crops failing and doing everything by hand and building and carrying and constructing and fishing the nets. They didn't have sunblock. These guys were tough. Why didn't they interpose to save? 
we have a tendency to think about Peter skedaddling and just, and he, he watched from a distance. Now I'm speculating, but apparently that's okay because we now have the chosen. But I wondered if about the other disciples. Where were the other 10? Why didn't they hang out? Why didn't they look around? Why didn't they look for their opportunity? Why didn't they get together to go, look, we got to do something about this on the count of three. Charge! Why didn't they do that? And it seems to me the reason is what Jesus was enduring, what our captain was enduring for our sakes was nasty, scare, terrifying business that he was being so brutalized. They just kept their distance. Dudes, tough guys. You know, the men that you would look at and go in 21st century context and go, okay, they work down on the farm. These guys have some calluses. And they were afraid. Now, is that an impugning of the character of the disciples? Well, I guess, guess so. But there's a better observation to be made. Look at Jesus. He didn't run from it. He knew that was coming. He knew, he knew Isaiah 53. He knew how he was going to be treated. He sweat drops of blood. He could have skedaddled, but he didn't. He marched. The man of God's own choosing, he was no sissy. He was bold. He was courageous, far more courageous than the disciples. So, Jimmy, with three minutes to go, even though that's not what I'm supposed to be talking about. Although, hey, this is kind of like music as we survey how the pagans are behaving these days. Want to go to the San Francisco City Council? Yeeks. That's sort of like a hill song. So that is a worship song. <laughs> free Palestine, free. Free Palestine, free. In fact, it does look a little smoggy in there. You, you can't see the picture, but those chanters at the city council in San Francisco, yeah, they all have masks on, and I'm seeing a lot of pink and blue hair. That's I'm just I'm just trying to paint the picture for you. Hey, here's a here's a shocker. Get ready for this. <laughs> this is so unbelievable. Peer-reviewed study finds sex. Now, now remember, sex and gender, they're supposed to be different things. Uh, that sex is what you are like on the inside, but gender is what you identify as. So here's here's what the experts have come up with. Sex could be a better predictor of sports performance than gender identity. No, uh, <laughs> that's impossible. How could that possibly be? And that brings us to Serena Williams, 2013 on the David Letterman program. Uh, she couldn't say this anymore. This is from... 2013, a decade ago. You talk about a J-curve. Woo, have we flung far into progressivism. Oh, actually, it's funny because Andy Murray, he oh, he was been joking about um, myself and him playing a match. And I'm like, Andy, seriously, like, are you kidding me? Because for me, tennis and men's tennis and women's tennis are completely almost two separate sports. So I'm like, if I were to play Andy Murray, I would lose 6-0, 6-0. What? Five to six minutes, maybe ten minutes, because no, it's true. It's true. It's a completely, 
It's a completely different sport. The men are a lot faster. No! And, they, and um, they they get, they serve harder, they hit harder. It's just a different game. No! And I love to play women's tennis. And I, I only want to play girls because I don't want to be embarrassed. I would not do the tour. I wouldn't do Billie Jean any justice. So, Andy, stop it. Yeah. We're not going to, I'm not going to let you kill me. <laughs> I, I'm with you when it comes to tennis. I only want to play girls. Yeah. <laughs> we got that going on. <laughs> oh, according to Bloomberg, Bloomberg, sorry, opinion piece, elections are bad for democracy. That's right. Elections are bad for democracy. 2024 is the year of elections, and that's a threat to democracy. And they go about the business of trying to defend that statement. Why? Because a lot of conservative people are going to be... Minutes, Mr. Friel. You said no matter what you were doing. You have to interrupt. <laughs> All right, let me take you to Spain. Uh, this, this young lady's name is Melinda. Uh, she's like Madonna. She, she doesn't have a last name. She's just Melinda. I have to believe she's a believer, at least familiar with Christian hymnology. She's in Montefrio, Spain, in an old church, no doubt Roman Catholic. And for some reason, on so many levels, this just... Um, we got to do better. We got to do better. We got to be more mindful and thoughtful about how we build our church buildings, uh, that, that, that they've got some thought to them. Listen to the acoustics of this. This is just absolutely staggering because they didn't have amplification back then. So yeah, they had to, but also the acoustics, it just makes this feel so transcendent. I hope this takes you to another place and maybe inspires you to remember, yes, our God is imminent, but he is also otherly. God is bigger than us, holier, loftier, more exalted. And I recognize we have limitations, financial mostly, sometimes land issues. I understand needing a building to serve many different purposes. I totally get that. We're in the throes of that at Alpharetta Bible Church, but the acoustics were considered the shape and the design of the building, the height of the ceilings, the size of the doors, the design and the structure of the building itself, all had theology behind it. God is big and we're not. And until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>